Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. And I'm Dr. Tim Pinnell. And we are very excited to have Steve Ward with us all the way from the UK. Uh, Steve is a specialist in helping people who are working in trading, investing, and banking to enhance their risk-taking, improve their decision-making, and to enhance and sustain high performance by utilizing the latest science, research, and practice from performance psychology, decision science, neuroscience, behavior science, mindfulness-based approaches, physiology, and philosophy. Before starting to work within the financial sector, Steve provided sports psych coaching to elite athletes and teams in over 30 different sports around the globe with a particular interest in extreme action and adventure sports. And he's also provided psychological coaching for professional poker players. He is the author of High Performance Trading, Sports Betting to Win, Trader Mind, and the soon to be released in just a couple of weeks, right, Steve? The yeah, sure. Bulletproof Trader. Um, and we have to quickly add as well that he is an alumnus of our MSPE instructor program. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks. Uh, well, thanks to both of you for the, uh, for the invitation. Absolutely. And, and we were just mentioning before we started recording, uh, Tim and I are, are especially excited to talk to you today because you, uh, of course, have a, a background in sports and sports psychology, but are now doing very different work and in some ways very similar work, right? But um, in a very different realm. And, and some of the stuff that you're doing just sounds so, so interesting and cool. And we're, we're really excited to hear how, how you're using mindfulness and, and some of your background in sports psych and the work that you're doing now. Yeah, great. And um, yeah, I mean, like, like you say, it's, there's lots of similarities, lots of differences. Um, ultimately, you know, it's people in a results-driven, high-stakes environment. That's probably the, the common bond. Uh, the context is slightly different. The skill set is slightly different. But um, yeah, I guess we'll explore that further as we go through the, uh, through the session. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to talk about some of this. But yeah, first, you know, as we start most of our episodes, we like to do a, a brief meditation. And you've been gracious enough to, to accept our invitation to lead one. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited, excited to, get, to get centered before we get into this interview. But we can kick it to you, Steve. Great. Thanks, Tim. So, yeah, so I've chosen this, this practice. It's one of my favorite ones that I use with clients. And uh, I won't say too much about it. We'll, we'll kind of do it and experience it. And then uh, I'll let you guys maybe pick up on a few points afterwards. So, um, so just really just like to invite everyone just to you know, take a moment, just to settle into a relaxed, comfortable position, whatever feels right for you. Just being mindful of maybe adopting an attentive posture. And you can do this practice eyes open or eyes closed, whatever feels comfortable for you. If you're going to do it eyes open, just finding somewhere to relax your gaze. If you're comfortable closing your eyes, just allowing yourself to do that now. And just taking a moment just to check in with how things are for you in this moment. And then just taking a slightly longer, slightly slower, slightly deeper breath. 
And then just letting the breath begin to find its own rhythm. Simply noticing the in-breath and the out-breath. And as you notice your breathing, become aware that you are noticing it. Become aware of the breath coming and going. And there you are watching it. The breath is changing constantly. But just notice that the you that observes your breathing does not change. And now I'd like to invite you to turn your attention towards your thoughts. Perhaps noticing your thoughts and where those thoughts are located. Maybe the form of the thoughts. And as you notice your thoughts, be aware that you're noticing them. There are your thoughts and there is the you observing your thoughts. And just notice the thought you're having now in this moment. Just stepping back, just notice it. There's the thought, and there's the you observing the thought. Thoughts come and go. But the you that's observing the thoughts stays the same. Now turn your awareness to what you're feeling in this moment. Just see if you can notice where you're feeling it in the body, what sensations are present, where they're located, 
notice there's the feeling you're having and there's the you observing the feeling. Feelings and sensations, they come, they go, they change. The part of you noticing the feeling and sensations stays the same. So there's the you that's breathing, thinking, feeling. And there's the you that's noticing the breathing, noticing your thoughts, and noticing your feelings, observing your experience. The observer self, constant, never changing. And now as we draw this practice towards a close, just taking, again, a longer, slower, deeper breath than you might usually do. But really give it full awareness all the way through the breath. And as you get to the end of the out-breath, just bringing this short practice to an end, bringing your focus back to where you are right now in this moment. really nice Steve thank you so much for for leading us in that exercise and um boy I noticed a big difference in how I feel now versus how I felt a few moments ago before you started I really enjoyed that quite a bit um and and I am so curious um I know you said before uh we did the practice um that you didn't want to say too much about it because you wanted us to experience it which I love yeah that's great yeah um, but I wonder if now you could circle back and say a little bit about it and say sure. um, kind of how you, how you incorporate that kind of exercise into your work. Yeah. So I really love this idea of the observer. And um, so in, in my work in, with traders, there's a, there's a great quote. Uh, it's a guy called Tom Basso. He's an American hedge fund trader. I've been around for a while. And he has this great quote in one of the books where he talks about how uh, when he's trading really well, kind of at his best, there's a Tom Basso in the corner of the room watching the Tom Basso at the trading screen. So he's kind of fully aware of what the Tom Basso at the screen is doing. He's not detached in terms of he can't feel or he can't think, but it's that different perspective. And it's a, I think a lot of traders, and probably you know, this is true of athletes and all high performers, have had those experiences where it is almost like you're watching yourself. You're in it, uh, but you're not right in it. You know, and... and uh, I think one of, the, one of the challenges that we have in, in trading and investing is um, people often know what they want to do. So they know the behavior that's required, but for various reasons, they deviate away from that. It could be an emotion shows up, a thought shows up, sensations show up that takes them kind of out of the game as such. So I just love the idea about being able to um, notice that. So, you know, people talk about self-awareness. 
And, and often in trading, that's been, you know, reflective journaling, uh, which is all good, but it's after the event. But what, what we need to do to perform well is have that awareness in the moment. And it's really, well, what does that even mean? What does awareness in the moment mean? And if I know what it means, how do I train it? So, um, so I love the idea about the awareness can be we're noticing in the moment, which I think is really powerful. So then we can obviously have that choice and we can respond in the moment, but also that we can, through these types of practices, we can start to train that. And uh, what I notice when people do that exercise frequently is they do begin to get this sense of a greater awareness of the thought in the moment, but it's a thought they're having. It doesn't mean they've got to act on the thought. They're noticing an emotion, but they don't have to act on the emotion. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just love And I think the phraseology, you know, I think the observer self is just a nice framing that's kind of makes sense to people um, much as you could observe somebody else doing that you can observe that for yourself so it, um, and, and I think it's a practice that is um, quite easy for people to kind of make sense of and also to do for themselves yeah I, yeah, I really like that um, I really enjoy the meditation and, and like that that emphasis on on the separation between ourselves and these thoughts and feelings, right? This observer self versus these kind of pieces of our experience that come and yeah. go. And I find myself talking, talking to athletes, talking to my clients about this a lot, particularly when it comes to emotions. Because I do think kind of the emotions can come in and, and, and mm -hmm. distort and overwhelm our perspective, right? And this, yeah. this one piece of our experience becomes like kind of the only piece we can see. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, in, it's embedded in our language, well, certainly in the English language anyway, when we talk about feelings, you know, we say, I, I am, I am yeah. sad, I am angry, not yeah. I have, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But even if that little tweak, I have some anxiety means I might mm -hmm. be able to put it down, right? And, and, and yeah. you, you were using some of that language in the meditation that really helped kind of enhance that sense of like, here is this feeling and it's not overwhelming, it's, but it's just there and I can look at it. Um, yeah. And that's so liberating. Yeah. And, and that's something, I mean, the language I think is really powerful. And, and um, the, I think one of the, the, the things in trading with historical myth has been that emotions are the bad guys they get in the way and they're a big cause of, you know, of ill discipline and so on. And, and so the question is, you know, Okay, well, make, even if they were, can you turn it off? So even if, even if that was true, and I don't believe it is, could we turn it off anyway, which we can't do? So when it's tough or it's challenging, and that's often when traders lose their discipline, it's, it's, it's a tough, challenging moment. You might have a, you know, a, a big trade on, lots of money at stake, and the market moves against you. It's going to be stressful. Um, so stuff's going to show up because that's the human condition. That, that's probably pretty appropriate for most people in, the, in those. But So it's what, what do you do with it when it shows up for me? is really important and i think you know a lot of attempts to suppress or deny or not feel or to take a behavior or certainly in trading terms a lot of ill-disciplined behavior is really an attempt to avoid something that's uncomfortable that's showing up so you know traders might not take a loss in the moment because it's uncomfortable to lose money and, and what comes with that so how would you avoid that you don't take the losing trade you stay in the position as such but now if it goes further against you, and often it can do that, you end up with a bigger loss and more pain later. So there's kind of payoff between dealing with what shows up in the short term in order to be able to get the long-term gain. Or I have an aversion to the short term and I do behavior, thinking, feeling, and actual behavior to avoid that short-term discomfort. But the reality is probably I'm sacrificing long-term gain. And I think that dynamic plays out a lot in trading and probably in life and in sport. Um, so I think, you know, if people can become, can find a way of 
being able to work with what shows up more effectively, it makes a huge difference. And I don't think we have to get into getting rid of, trying to suppress, deny. I think this kind of fluidity of working with the thoughts, the emotions, be able to be aware of, to notice, maybe even to utilize um, so, you know, emotions as data as such. What's it telling me? Is it, do I need to act on it? Is really powerful. Uh, and I think it's, it takes a lot less energy mentally to be able to kind of observe and notice and to manage than to try and you know suppress keep down park to one side and, and so on so yeah I, I would totally agree with what you're saying Tim yeah. well and I think what you're bringing up is is such a big part of what we do in MSPE or at least the intent of it as we build toward the sport meditation right mm -hmm. as we build toward the ultimate integration of a mindful way of being into a performance yeah. And this yeah. ability to see an emotion with a little bit of distance, whether we use mm. a term like decentering or diffusion, yeah. different, different uh, schools of thought use different, yeah. different terms for that. And, and it's so intriguing. I'm curious because this comes up in so many of the groups that we run. Um, and certainly, as I mentioned at the start, you were a part of our instructor training program. Yeah. And, and it comes up in most of the instructor trainings that we lead is, is how you teach people that, what, what you're saying, that, that for many of us, the idea of avoidance, the idea of minimizing discomfort is almost instinctual at this point, mm. right? In fact, you could say it is instinctual. It's kind yeah, of our program. Condition. Yeah. And, and yet you're making this really compelling point, which, which is honestly one of my favorite ideas in, in mindfulness science, which is this is a bit of a, a straighter line approach is it's actually mm. easier in some ways yeah. to allow the anxiety to be there, for yeah. example, yeah. than trying to fight and suppress it, which is exhausting. Yep. And, and creates a whole mountain of additional work for you. So yeah. in, in your work, um, you know, certainly, again, I know you've worked with athletes, but, but with your traders, yep. when you're sitting down to train someone in this or talk about these ideas, how do you introduce it? How do you get people to kind of get interested in, in exploring this kind of practice? So I think the first thing that I would often do is get them to talk about the kind of emotions that show up. If we work with the emotional piece, you know, I say, we well, know what emotions have you experienced in your trading maybe over the last four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever time frame. And there's always uh, plenty that, that shows up. Um, so that, I think that's the first thing really is getting people to be aware there's a range of emotions that, that show up. Then we might say, you know, which of these emotions, or often I say, ask the question, right? We've got this range of emotions. What do we think? Are emotions unhelpful? Do they get in the way? Do, are they you know, a, a negative factor in, in, in trading performance or are they helpful? And we might have a bit of a debate about that and we'll get some interesting views. Quite often, there'll be a, the weight of people will go, do you know what, if I could, Steve, I'd want to be emotionless like a machine. And, I'm, I'm, and I'll, I'll park that to one side. We'll come back to it later. Um, but we'll always get people who go, well, do you know what, actually, I think sometimes emotions are helpful. And I say, well, you know, give me some examples. And one might be, you know, somebody might say, for example, well, confidence is an emotion. It's a feeling. Um, if we don't want to get this into, into the nitty gritty of, of nuances of emotion and feeling, but you know, they'll say, you know, confidence is important as a feeling. I say, great. Well, would you want to be, if you, let's say you were emotionless and you never had confidence, would you be able to trade at your best? Because you could have an idea. Here's a trading idea, logically, but without that feeling of confidence, would you act on it? So, so we get into that bit of a debate, which is interesting. And then I'll, then I'll often talk. I say, let's pick out two elements of trading that are really important, which is basically risk and reward. So trading 
each decision you're talking about is a risk reward payoff. What's the risk I'm going to willing to take to get a certain reward? That, that's the continual uh, focus of all decisions. So risk and reward, if we look at them in terms of um, biology and, and, and then the emotions around that are basically what's the emotion that is the risky emotion, which is fear. And what's the feeling we get when there's a reward available, which is excitement. So if we look at it in very simple terms, evolutionary terms, basically, the, the two emotions, uh, which are probably most primal for us, fear and excitement, actually are two key emotions in determining risk and determining reward. And without them, again, you could have the logic, you might be able to work out logically, here's a risk or here's a reward, but you wouldn't have that, you know, I think uh, uh, Damasio, Antonio Damasio calls it this kind of lift to action. So there's kind of, there's no energy to act on the logic. Uh, and he's got some great studies, you know, in Descartes' there around it with his patients and stuff, which are really interesting. So, but I think it's engaging in, here's the emotions that we experience. What's the impact you notice? Are there times when actually emotion is helpful? You know, what would it be like as a trader if you never felt fear? If you never, what would it be like if we were humans without fear or without excitement? What does it mean as a trader? If you couldn't determine at that kind of raw, visceral level, risk and reward, could you really make good trading decisions? And we know that, you know, when you make a decision and take risk, it's a whole body experience. It's not just up here. It's all the way through. So I think that kind of gets the engagement into the idea that, you know, what actually emotions, and I, I then switch into, like, what if emotions were data? So what if they were, you know, why are they there? If they, were, if, they were, if they had no purpose, if they were bad, why would we still have them? So here's the emotions we experience. Can they be helpful? Yes, they can. And they can be maybe unhelpful at the extremes, perhaps. Why do we have them? They are energizers and they are data. They're telling us something. So can we start to maybe play with that? And then really I try and get them into a leap of faith into terms of let's look at some of the neuroscience because my clients like the science. Here's what we know about decision making and, and, and the brain. Um, Let's wrap it all together with what we know so far. Here's an alternative model. Be aware of the emotion. Acknowledge it. Don't try and get rid of it. Let's use it as data. Bring it into what you're doing already. And let's see if we can utilize it and harness it. And ultimately, it's a leap of faith as to whether they want to then try that or not. You know, they're in the, they're in the plane. They've got the parachute on. I've told them it's safe. I've told them what the experience is going to be like. But they've got to take the jump out. Go away and test it. And I would say for most clients that do, they find it significantly um, more effective. And I'll often say to people, you know, what have you tried to get rid of this fear of in trading? Or what have you tried to get rid of the anxiety? And they'll have tried everything, you know, um, and some, some for 10, 15 years, and it's still there. So whatever they're trying is not working. Maybe try something different. I yeah. love that explanation. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a, a unique contribution that, that mindfulness is making to, to the world of performance, um, but certainly to mental health more broadly too, mm. is that emotions aren't good, bad, right, or wrong, right? Yeah. There's yeah. not positive emotions and negative emotions necessarily, Agreed. that emotions yeah. are data. Yeah, exactly. And, and we use them and, and, and as to sort of tie it back to what you were saying before, if you can regard them with a little bit of distance, if you can see them without being in them, they can actually be quite powerful and, and quite yeah. helpful and, and yeah. facilitative of performance. Agreed. Yeah. And, and like you said, Keith, it's context. 
you know, so, you know, I use a lot of acceptance commitment therapy in, in my work with my clients as well. And, you know, and I, and I love the idea that, you know, behavior and therefore performance is contextual. So you can't determine if an emotion or a thought is good or bad unless you're aware of the context you're in. So that's, again, a big piece of my work is we've got to look at context. You know, what's happening in the markets, what's happening in the world, organization, team, your goals, what you're trying to achieve, what matters to you. That creates a bit of context. Now we can look at, is that emotional thought helping you or not helping you? Is it useful or not? And then if it's not useful, then we can do some work with it. We might need to get a bit of distance, maybe now and again, if it's really extreme, we might want to do a bit of regulation if we have to. But a lot of the time, it's just the noticing, you know, it's the old metaphor of being in the river um, or being above the river. I use that a lot, you know, that, but, you know, if you're in the river, you, you're kind of reactive to where the river takes you. But if you were in a helicopter, you could see the river's calm or it's flowing faster or you're in the rapids. But the experience from the helicopter is very different if you're in the river. And that's kind of, again, that's the metaphor I often use for the observer self is I want my clients to be in the helicopter. They can see that it could be calm or, or you're in the rapids and it's rough or anywhere in between. But you can make different decisions and you can see things differently and your relationship with the experience is different when you're in the helicopter to when you're in it, particularly in the high stakes moments when you're in the rapids and you're in the white water, you're being smashed against the rocks, you know, you can only be reactive there in the helicopter. You can be much more responsive. And that, that's really a key goal of, for my clients is getting this kind of responsiveness, situational awareness, what's going on in the markets, what's going on within you, piece it all together against what you're trying to achieve and your trading strategy in, in that kind of uh, George Mumford uses that phrase, you know, in uh, uh, mindful athlete about being in the, you know, the, the center of the eye of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, that it's, it's, it's just different there. And I think that's what the observer self really, that's what I'm trying to get people to experience is what it's like to be the noticer uh, and make decisions from the helicopter rather than being you know, in the river. Yeah. And I, I mean, I certainly hear some like very clear parallels in terms of how, how you approach this with your clients and, and like how we approach it with athletes, you know, yeah. getting them to you know, take that leap of, leap of faith, have the experience, let their experience yeah. guide them, yeah. the importance of being able to see the big picture and understand context. Um, but I, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, you starting by working with kind of these adventure athletes, you know, how did, how did you evolve to be working in business? And what are, what are the <laughs> connections that you see between kind of the sport context and this trading context? I'd just be so kind of curious to get your perspective on that. Yeah. It, it, it was purely random, Tim, to be honest. So it wasn't a chosen path, uh, as many of these things aren't. Um, but, but to cut a very long story short, I was delivering some sports psychology workshops and um, met a person um, in that workshop who happened to be the head of performance and learning for a big trading company in London. He was also an ex-professional tennis player and still coached tennis to a high level. So he was kind of there under the sports umbrella. Mm -hmm. But when he kind of saw the work we, that I was doing, he was really curious to see if we could bring that same uh, performance focus and some of the psychological skills into the trading world. This is 2005. So um, it was very new uh, for trading and, and trading behind the curve when it comes to high performance is, is my, my perspective. So um, I knew nothing about trading. I, I seriously thought I was going to turn up in London and see people in suits and bowler hats. Uh, you know, and umbrellas. That's ser seriously, that's how naive I was. And um, it was the opposite. Well, I walked on this trading floor, 150 people, average age probably was about 24, 25, all in, you know, smart jeans, t-shirts or polo shirts or, you know, a, a shirt, hedge fund chic as they call it. That's the official term. Um, and um, it was non-farm payrolls. It's the first Friday of each month to get the US, uh, the US employment data. It's a big number. 
And um, basically what happens is it uh, comes out and then before the, the number is released, um, you get this countdown, five minutes, one minute, 30 seconds, 10 seconds, five, four, three, two, one. Then basically the place erupts all this energy. And I just thought, whoa, what is going on here? It was like, it's like, it was like being at a sporting event, but in, a, in an office building, it, it, was, it was crazy. So, um, and it really, um, that hooked me into it. And then they said, look, do you want to come and try some stuff? Which I did. Um, then it worked out into three days a, a, um, a week on like a big program. And then really, um, the world of trading is quite small. So, you know, kind of people move about, they know people, you know, so could you come and try that here, Steve? Could you try it here? I've got a friend there who's interested. So, by the end of 2000, I did the Winter Olympics in 2006, a uh, bit of work in, in rugby league, middle of 2006. But by the end of 06, I was pretty much really just, you know, immersed in the world of the markets and, and trying to learn the language and, and the different contexts as I, as I went along. But um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was it. Yeah, funny how the universe leads us in all these yeah. different, different... And, and you know what? And, and, I, and I've loved it. And I've been doing it now for 15 years and, and I still... Um, it's like a huge puzzle and it's, you'll, you'll be aware of this. You and Keith will know this. Sometimes the more you get into something, uh, the more you realize, the less, you know, uh, and it's almost, it, it's, it, yeah. you know, you, you, you buy more books and you realize that there's other topics that are linked to it. So you, you, you go down that Avenue and that's obviously got its whole world. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy really, but, but again, it's also energizing and yeah. again like with athletes they're great people you know they're high performers they want to learn they want to get better so in, in terms of your second part the both are competitors you know traders are generally very competitive um they they talk about trading teams but a trading team might be six people who sit together but if one's making money the other one might be losing money and they might be taking each other's money yeah. so they're kind of not really team teams all the time in investment firms they tend to be more teams but so it's quite individualistic, really, on the whole. That is shifting slightly um, as times have changed in the markets. Very competitive, results-driven. You know, um, in, for some traders, it is eat what you kill. You know, so if you're not performing well, you're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. uh, different for banks, where obviously you might be salaried as well, but there, there are some on that, on that um, paradigm. Um, pressure's high. Yeah. For some traders, there's lots of high-stakes moments. For other traders, the time frames are longer, so it's a bit slower moving. Uh, you know, some sports are more like uh, bowls, golf, darts. You know, some sports are much more like you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, something more high octane motorsport. Maybe the difference in trading is to sport. that's interesting is there's no off season. Mm -hmm. um, you're playing five days a week. You've got to choose when to take your time off, knowing that when you're taking time off, the rest of the world's still playing. Oh. Yeah. So you're taking yourself out of the game and that's challenging for people. You know, if you're having a bad run, you don't want to take time off because you want to make money. Right. If you're having a good run, you don't want to take time off because you want to keep making money. So the whole balance of kind of stress recovery is quite interesting. Mm. Um, it's much more cognitive, obviously, you know, obviously sport in a way you're trying to, you know, habituate the skills, be able to perform them well. You're almost trying to quieten the brain down in trading. It, it is still very cognitive at the very, for the very short time frame traders, it is, Pattern recognition is much more intuitive, instinctive. But as you go away from that, you are talking much more about, you know, is a thinking, rationalizing process. So, the, so there's a lot of like decision science, behavioral finance. So that, that's where my world's expanded is in really what's a decision science. There's like the performance science. Mm -hmm. Then there's a decision science. And those two obviously have a, an overlap. Then yeah. over the years, you know, I've realized the physiology, which, is a, which I love anyway, but that plays a big part in what we do. So it's not just mind. It's also mind and body. 
so this is how the whole world um, increases. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, 30% overlap is probably quite similar between athletes and, and okay. traders. And I think 70% is, is very contextual. And okay. within trading, there's multiple layers, as they are in sport, there's different contexts based on, you know, who you are, what you're doing, where you're doing it, and so on. Yeah, yeah I mean, it seems as, as it relates to, to this, this bridge of mindfulness between like what we're doing and what you're doing is, is this idea of, of, risk and and emotion and and a word that that i know we've used on previous episodes of our podcast that the idea of vulnerability right Mm -hmm. the idea of of being being in the fray yeah having things on the line and still being able to pay attention in a way that's that's helpful to your performance yeah which is really a courageous thing to do so i mean I, i think you're you're speaking about all these wonderful parallels and and contrasts in some ways between um uh, traders and and athletes, but but I think just the amount of courage it takes to do, like you mentioned, George Mumford, the eye of the hurricane, to be able yeah. to stand in the eye of the hurricane yeah. and yeah. see all of that around, um, it's an amazing thing. And and mm-hmm. I I know I have so much respect for the folks that we work with, and and just hearing about what your world yeah. is like, I, I yeah. find myself having a very similar reaction. Um, yeah, it's hard I, to do, and it, it is hard to do. And that's why so few people, I think, you know, get to the top of the game, because I think the, the phrase I use a lot, you know, that I think is really key to trading is you've got to be comfortable with uncomfortable. So, you know, in trading, if you lose money, it's uncomfortable, but you've got to lose money. You can't win every time. Uh, uncertainty. No one knows what the market's going to do from moment to moment, particularly in the longer term. So you've got to be comfortable with uncertainty. You get lots of novelty, which can be stressful. You've got to be comfortable with novel things happening. A lot of stuff's outside your control. You've got to be comfortable with that. Um, you're going to be wrong. You know, a lot of people in trading are, are very smart, intellectual people. Uh, but in trading, you know, some of the best traders I work with probably are right between 40 and 50% of the time. So you're wrong mm. roughly half the time. Now, you know, if you're a doctor and you're wrong half the time, you're in trouble. If you're an engineer and you're wrong half the time, everyone's in trouble. So, you know, to come through an academic, which lots of people do, you know, route into trading where you it's be right, be right, be right, then suddenly be told you can be very successful if you're right half the time, but you've just got to be able to cope with being wrong. Very difficult. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of emotional, um, mental, cognitive discomfort that traders are exposed to. And if you try and avoid all that discomfort, you end up doing the behaviors which are anti to you being able to make or to maximize market opportunity. So you have to learn through exposure, really, and through, I guess, mental skills training and, and experience, how to manage that discomfort. And I think that's a really core skill, is being willing to expose yourself to discomfort, you know, to be in the hurricane as such in the, in, in the moments, and to build confidence in being able to cope with it. I loved what you were saying earlier, Keith, because in, in trade, use the word courage, and in trading, they talk a lot about confidence, you know, having the confidence to kind of put the position on, you know, put, put the trade on and so on. And in uh, a big enough size that makes it meaningful. Um, but the problem is, whenever you make a decision in trading as in life, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. So, so traders talk about confidence often as it's almost like this. They want, they want to have this belief that I'm going to put this trade on and it's going to work and I'm going to make money. And my, my view of that is, how can that be? How can you have that? Right. Because yeah, you're putting a trade on into a world of uncertainty where nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone in a week or two or three or four or five or even a few months as it could be. So you have to have this 
um, ability to put the, put the trade on with kind of full commitment, but there's no guarantee of success. Yeah. And I think you know, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the mindset of what my clients are getting into. I want you to be fully committed to the process of making the best decisions possible, but knowing that each decision you make has no guarantee of success. And I think that's the vulnerability pieces. That, that's, that's what's difficult for people. Because if, if we said to them, you know, put this trade on in, in four weeks' time, you make X amount of money. Great. But that's not the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, same for athletes. You don't know what's going to happen, but you've got to be fully committed to the process in order to have the best chance yeah. to stack the odds in your favor, but there's still no guarantee. You know, work hard, work longer, work smarter, read more, do more, whatever you want to do, but there's still no guarantee that trade's going to win. So you've got, you're in that kind of, so that's where I think confidence isn't really about this, this kind of assurance or belief. It's much more, I think it's the Latin confides, which is like, I think it's like with trust or, or something to do with, you know, with, around that, that language. So I like the idea about you're putting a trade on, you're basically trusting your system is a good system and you're trusting yourself to execute the system effectively. And that's it. And then there's an outcome. And so, you've got to be comfortable with the end, with the outcome of that. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. I'm sorry we have to end it here because I love what you were just bringing up and I wish we had more time to, to talk about it. It's, it's so important, um, you know, the idea of tolerating uncertainty and, and something else I, I wish we had a little more time to talk about is, is just how you've mentioned a couple of times this, this is a trainable skill. Um, and, and obviously all three of us are, are working to try to help people do exactly what we've been talking about today. Yeah. Um, so we, we really do appreciate your time and, and maybe you can join us again in a future episode so we can break this down a little bit more. Um, yeah, so sorry. yeah. As you said, right. One idea connects to another, connects to yeah. another. And just, yeah. I, I would love to talk to you all day. It's, it's okay. such, as we all know, it's such a huge topic. I mean, you know, if you take performance psychology, that's huge, you know, mindfulness, that's huge, you know, acceptance, commitment therapy, that's huge. So, you know, it, yeah, these are, these are, I guess, you know, snippets, hopefully that make people uh, give them something to work with or think about. I think that we should, we should be great. Yeah. Well, well, we really appreciate your thoughts. You, you really brought a lot of interesting perspectives to our discussion. So thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And, thank you. Um, Steve, did you want to uh, tell any ways that people can connect with you? Obviously you have a new book coming out and, and you've had other books. Um, so any, any ways people can reach out to you if they want to get more information or about sure. your books? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so the, uh, the books, obviously, they're, they're all out on, you know, all the online booksellers and bookshops, so they can find them there. Bulletproof Trade is a new one that's out 23rd of June. Interesting blend of uh, stoic philosophy combined with acceptance, commitment, therapy and mindfulness approaches combined with cutting edge heart rate variability physiology. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. so it's a bit of an interesting one. It's kind of a, yeah, kind of a psychology, physiology um, and philosophy blend. Uh, apply to obviously the, the trading context uh, and to deal with kind of dealing with setbacks and tough times which is a, a can be a large part of trading um, and other than that really just through the website which is um, uk. oh great well thank you yeah well I, I will definitely be checking that book out that sounds really interesting yeah. <laughs> yeah. be so different I think it's going to be different <laughs> <laughs> very cool um if, if listeners would like to connect uh, with us, with Tim and I, with our MSPE Institute, um, you can reach out through our website, mindfulsportperformance.org. 
Um, you can also connect with us through our Facebook page, or uh, you can connect with me, Dr. Keith Kaufman, on Twitter. My handle is at MindfulSportDoc. Um, and as always, we do want to take a moment and thank our producer, Taylor Brown, from University of Texas at Austin for all of his hard work uh, in, in making this podcast possible, and our colleague, Dr. Carol Glass. Um, so thank you, Steve, and thank you to everyone who listened, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.